Welcome to the Love Raising Us podcast. My name is Erin Flood, and I'm so happy that you're with us. The Love Raising Us podcast is a podcast created for women with a desire to grow individually, learn within a supportive community, and positively impact the world around them. Yes, we're going to do all this great work while we finish the messy job of raising us. Today's podcast focus is sharing our story and career. I think you're going to be really inspired by Nicole Modic's story, not only because of who she is with a giant social media presence and really incredible skills in the kitchen, but because she's so willing to be vulnerable and honest about her heart and uh, the struggles that she turned into great triumphs in the kitchen. So enjoy this episode with Nicole. Today's guest is Nicole Modic, and if you're listening, lots of you probably know her as Kale Junkie. She is going to tell us all about her um, Insta-famous and just real-life experiences, and I'm just so excited to have her on the show today. So, Nicole, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. It's a true honor to be on your podcast and really just to have an honest heart-to-heart conversation that will hopefully... Um, you know, inspire others and, and help others on their journey. Well, good. You have done that already for me. So um, in what I know from afar, so I can't wait to, to just spend some time with you today. Um, okay. As you know, the very first question I always ask is for you to just describe yourself using some of the roles and titles that you hold in your life right now. Sure. I love this question. There's so many roles. I feel like we all hold so many different roles. So mine would be, I am a mom. I am a businesswoman. I am a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. And yeah, I think that, I think that would pretty much sum it up unless I think of something else later. (laughs) And then if you had to just drop those roles and titles and just tell us kind of what the essence of you is, what would you say? I would say an independent person, just somebody who um, really thrives on freedom and being independent and free. Yeah, it's, I love that you said that because um, I pick like so much of that up just from what you do share on social media. So Um, that means we're following a real person, which is, which is exciting. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, one of the, I'm sure we'll talk about this too, but, you know, in holding all these different roles, um, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that is a challenge for me is really trying to find my own independence outside of these roles that we hold. And, um, you know, as a parent still trying to find our, our, the essence of us and our own making sure our own needs are met, our own freedom and flexibility outside those lines of being a parent. And what does that look like as a wife? Like, how do you still maintain your sense of self and who you are outside of these roles that we, that we hold? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking my language. I could not agree more. And actually that's the reason why I started this podcast. I thought you know, I allowed myself to sort of be swallowed by being a mom and a wife. And especially when I stepped away from my career and I thought, wait a minute, there is still something that exists in there that has a drive to like connect and learn and teach and all of those things. How can I still have that part of me? Because as soon as I let that part go, um, I wasn't the person I wanted to be in those other areas anyway. So yeah. yeah. And, and also like, you know, and I think we'll talk about this too, but before, um, I, before I had this career in food and recipe development and all of the, these things in the kitchen that I do now, um, you know, I was a practicing lawyer and in that I was, I was so miserable, um, practicing law. So I never really, I didn't mind not being able to express kind of who I am because I wasn't happy, but now that I'm in a career that I love, it is very hard to um, balance and juggle the passion for work, the passion for being a parent, responsibilities at home, and satisfying all of these different little buckets that we have. So it's definitely more of a struggle now that I'm in a job and a career that I love 
than it was when I was doing something that I actually didn't love and care about. So. Okay. Well, let's, let's like dig a little deeper on that part. So you, you were a practicing lawyer, right. And had a successful mm-hmm. career. How do you transition from that to following your passion in the kitchen? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I grew up in a traditional Middle Eastern Armenian household where, you know, my dad came to this country with, you know, he was a self-made guy, came here with no money, built, um, started his own business on the side and became a successful businessman. And part of his Amer- his dream, the American dream was for his children to either become a doctor or a lawyer. So kind of growing up as the oldest child in an Armenian household, there was a lot of pressure on me to like, those were my two choices. Doing something in a creative field was definitely not on the table. I could, I had one of two paths to go down. So I knew I didn't want to be a doctor that just, you know, wasn't my thing, but I always loved law. I loved studying. I loved learning. And I thought, you know what? what a better education to have that no matter what I do in life, I can use it for something and, you know, at least, uh, learn something really valuable in the process. Um, but so I ended up going to law school, but, um, during this time, I guess, well, starting before, like when I was 16, 17, I started, um, gaining weight and my mom had actually, he said to me one day, um, Nicole, you've, you've gained some weight. You want to go to Weight Watchers. And it was actually the first time as a teen, I think I was 15 and a half um, in 10th grade, um, that I had actually looked at my body and thought, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that there was something wrong with me or that the that, that she was putting this emphasis on my outside appearance that I didn't even notice. I mean, yeah, I mean, I noticed that my clothes weren't fitting, but I didn't realize that there was like a, you know, a a stigma or something wrong with that. So she took me to Weight Watchers and I very, very quickly became obsessed. I started counting points. I started and I started losing weight. And once I started losing weight, I started, you know, coming into, I was, then I was 16 and 17 and graduating from high school and men were starting to pay attention to me and. I started getting a lot of this outside positive reinforcement from people and it slowly turned into this eating disorder because I had this idea in my head of a very thin body that I wanted to have because I felt like that would, that was gaining me attention. That was gaining me. um, It was getting dates. People wanted to take me out. It was like this, you know, I got into this cycle of like, I have to be perfect. I have to be thin. Um, and to do that, I started restricting foods. I started cutting out all sugar from my diet. I wouldn't allow myself to have cake or a cookie or anything like that. And the result of deprivation, which I still firmly believe to this day is that you binge. Like when you tell yourself you can't have something, it is our human nature to rebel against that. And to say, no, I I can have whatever it is that I want. And when you taste, taste that you, it, it, it is very easy. I should say, and it doesn't happen to everyone, but to go overboard with that for one cookie, yeah. if after you haven't had it for six months of deprivation is going to lead to 10 cookies, at least for me and my experience. But all of that to tell you that before I went to law school, you know, even in, as an undergrad, when I was finishing high school, as I went into my undergrad and in law school, I was suffering from, I had binge eating disorder. It also turned into full-fledged bulimia um, because I wanted all of these things, but I was so dead set on being really thin and fit. And that was the only way that I can, could, could control my weight was through binging and purging and nobody knew. So this was something, you know, a secret that I held very near and dear to my heart. And it was also something that was not noticeable on the outside because I wasn't, I think we have a picture in our mind of what somebody with an eating disorder is supposed to look like from the outside, maybe being too thin, anorexic, but I wasn't, I was, you know, I looked healthy by anyone's standards. I mean, I was like, I looked like I was just naturally thin, but not alarming. So nobody would point it out. My parents didn't know. And again, culturally speaking, I mean, if they did know it was something that they would have wanted to push under the table because in our culture, 
having any type of mental health issue, whether that's depression, anxiety, a, um, you know, an eating disorder, all of those things are seen as shameful. And so I never felt like I could ever share this secret with anybody. And I continued this way in law school. I continued, I took the California bar exam. I passed on the first tried all of these like successes from the outside. Um, I graduated from NYU at the top of my class. I mean, nobody knew I was like inside. I, I feel like I was dying inside, but nobody knew. And I, I was too embarrassed to tell anybody, but secretly I would come home. I would go online. I would look up, um, I'd Google like eating disorder recovery, all of these things. Cause I desperately wanted help, but it was before social media and before, these topics were, um, you know, more talked about and there was other resources besides going to an inpatient treatment center, which I knew I couldn't do given my life. I had law school loans to pay. I had to work all of these things. Like I couldn't take the time out of my life. And I also kind of was in denial. I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't need that. That's not for me. Um, you know, I don't have a, that my problem isn't that big. Um, so you know, so this continued into while I was practicing law. So I started practicing law. I was doing real estate, I'm sorry, um, employment defense litigation. I had a successful career in law for about six and a half years, all while struggling. And I had this passion, this burning passion inside me for health and wellness, but I was not well, and I was not healthy. And I, what was also contributing to um, some sadness and stress in my life was the fact that I had a law degree that, that was all, even though that's a big accomplishment, I felt very boxed into my given career. I never, I was like, what else can I do with my life? I can never do something in health and wellness. Number one, I'm not well. And number two, my only credentials are in law. So, um, I started going to therapy really just to help me think outside the box and help me, um, deal with the career stuff. Like, how do I get out of this career? I'm miserable. Let me find something else that I love. And it really wasn't for the eating disorder. Um, that came so interesting. Yeah. I was afraid to tell my therapist too. I was yeah. embarrassed, which is like, you know, you, you want, or at least, you know, maybe it is a cultural thing too. I wanted people to perceive me on the outside. Um, one way, but I was really like, I was embarrassed. It's a vulnerable thing to tell people that you just ate a gallon of ice cream and then threw it all up. Or you, I would pull into, you know, a a gas station and go inside and buy five of those giant Nestle ice cream sandwiches and come home and eat them in my room and then make myself throw up. I couldn't, it was, it's embarrassing. You feel like Uh, you don't have control on your life. You feel out of, you feel out of control. You feel like there's a lot of shame around that when in reality, I think our, like we kind of operate. I remember those moments of feeling like, I know in my head, I shouldn't be doing this, but it's like an, almost an out of body experience that you just totally. Well, and two, if people listening, like aren't familiar with eating disorders, I mean, it is, although we don't talk about it this way, it's an addiction. Yeah. You know, the same it's, it's, um, I do some volunteering at a women's rehabilitation center. And like, one of the things we always talk about is like addictive behaviors Mm -hmm. and addictive behaviors are like, and obviously I'm, I am not a doctor. I am, you know, (laughs) but this just, again, in what I've learned in my own experiences, it's those addictive behaviors are totally like cloaked in shame. And because you have to hide such a big part of what you spend your time thinking about and all like the rituals that surround it. And, uh, you know, it really creates such a barrier between you and everyone else in your life because it dominates so much of what you think about and why you even do things the way you do things. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, also, I mean, I think about how my social life and growing up my teenage years, my later teenage years were impacted by this. I mean, I didn't go to, I wouldn't go to social events where there was going to be food and drink over there because I didn't want to be tempted. I didn't want to stay out late at night because if I stayed out late at night, I would be hungry. I was in bed by eight. Like my whole world was like, it was all revolved around food and what I was eating, what I was going to eat the next day 
when I was going to eat this, when yeah. I was going to binge on this. I mean, it, it's a full-time job. And it was, and it's sad now when I look back on it, because I do feel like there are so many memories and so many things that I missed out on. And also like I dropped the ball on friends events, you know, birthday parties, weddings that I didn't go to because either I had binged and I couldn't get the food up and I felt absolutely disgusting, um, you know, or whatever it was that like, I love it. It cost me a lot of friendships and relationships too. Um, but I will tell you, so, you know, kind of getting back on the course of what we were talking about, um, I got married to Greg who we've been married now for 10 years, but when I met Greg, um, he also didn't know about my eating disorder and we got married and he still didn't know about my eating disorder. And we moved to, we moved from LA to San Francisco. And I will never forget this day because it was the day that changed my life, but also was the day that put me on the path to recovery. Um, he was watching TV one night in our living room and I was in the bedroom. I think I was tired. I grabbed a magazine, I got in bed. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, I'd like, I want some bread. So I went back out. I got this loaf of bread from the fridge and it was nothing like, you know, it wasn't like a nice loaf. It was like Ezekiel, like whole, like some bread, like not even like, you know, sourdough loaf or something, but I was desperate. Um, I brought this, this loaf of bread back to the room. I closed bedroom. I closed the door. Greg's watching TV. I'm reading magazines and, um, and I'm eating this bread, like, you know, one piece at a time, but I had fully intended to eat the entire bag for whatever reason. That's what my body was like eating or wanting. So, um, all of a sudden Greg opens the door and catches me like I'll, I, I jumped. I was like, like, so not expecting him to be there. And I like, I jumped and, you know, I dropped my magazine on the floor and I pushed the, the, um, the bread underneath the sheets. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. I'm just reading. He's like, he's like, what's going on in here? I was like, nothing. And then he comes and he picks up the magazine off of the floor. And there was a a half eaten piece of bread in there. And I was absolutely mortified because, you know, I, it was the first time that somebody that I love so much, um, saw me in this weak moment of like, I'm fully exposed. I'm sitting here with half eaten bread on the floor, a loaf of a, a, a full package in the bed under the sheets. And I'm exposed by my husband who I should have been feeling so close to and so honest and open with that. He should have known everything about me before we got married, but he didn't because I was too embarrassed. Um, that moment though, you know, he, you know, one thing about Greg is that he is very, you know, he's very, uh, he's very supportive. And he, instead of like judging or anything, his first response was like, okay, you know, you don't, he's like, Nicole, you don't have to hide food. If you're hungry or you want something, I want you to feel comfortable eating it out in the open. If you want five pieces of bread, come into the kitchen. You don't, I don't want you to feel like you have to hide anything in this house. Um, that moment is the moment that changed my life because it was the first time that it was no longer a secret anymore. Mm. Um, and that was when I decided, you know what, something has to change. Um, I started, uh, increasing my therapy sessions to twice a week. And because I was no, like, I was already exposed by Greg, I guess I was like, I was comfortable talking about it to the therapist. I was like, I have something I need to tell you that we have not talked about. Um, and then I, I, uh, enrolled myself in a yoga teacher training. So I was still practicing law at the time, but I would sneak out of the office to go to a yoga teacher training. And that was the first time where I kind of I was able to quiet my mind through yoga, through meditation. And it took my mind off of the obsession with food. Um, And there was a book that I read called brain over binge um, by Catherine Hansen. I still have a couple of copies of that book that I always keep um, because that book was uh, really helped me understand that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not a defective 
defective person because I have this issue um, that I'm dealing with. It is sometimes a chemical imbalance in our, in our brains that can also cause the urges to binge. Um, and so through that, through those three things, my, the book therapy, uh, my yoga teacher training, I started just, um, and also the biggest thing was like sharing my story and started being really open about it. Um, I started my Instagram account and I would kind of just share foods that I was making in my kitchen, like healthier or more nutritious recipes of the treats that I would normally binge on. So my page started as, um, mostly comfort foods, like cookies and cakes and all kinds of desserts, because those were the foods to me that were previous, I would restrict myself, but I found also that, um, making these treats with more nutritious ingredients, um, made me feel good. I didn't have, yeah, you know, so that's kind of how that started. And then I started, uh, opening up about it on social media. So about a year in, um, I let people know that, Hey, this is a part of me. I am, you know, some I'm practicing law. I, it's not my passion. I don't know, you know, exactly where this is all going to take me because Instagram was just a hobby and I was just sharing things. And when I shared that I was recovering from an eating disorder, that was the first time my parents found out and they were so embarrassed. My mom called me right away and was like, I can't believe you're telling people on social media. We didn't even know about this. It was like a, it was a hard thing. So yeah, but then over time, um, you know, this passion of, you know, sharing things, sharing recipes on Instagram turned into, um, you know, I wanted to have a kid, my first son, who was now seven and a half. Um, but I couldn't get pregnant because I had lost my period for about 15 years from all of the damage that I'd caused to my body. So that was another, um, challenge to get pregnant. And I started sharing that journey with people in addition to like recovering from food. So everything, it kind of just became a, a glimpse into my life and things that I was going through and things that I was struggling with and people related. There were people kind of coming out of the woodworks and saying, Oh my gosh, thank you for saying this. I, I struggle with food too, or, you know, please share more. And it was like, at the beginning of when social media was, um, kind of coming onto the scene where I wish I had, uh, mentors and people to, that I could look up to that I, that had overcome what I had gone through, but there wasn't, it was just Googling and I'm finding residential inpatient treatment centers. So, um, I kind of knew I was onto something when so many people started coming out, coming out and, and sharing their stories with me too. Um, and you know, for me, it just kind of grew organically where I started continuing to share recipes and my life. And as I did that, my following grew and I started, um, getting some brand partnerships. I think after I started reaching maybe 10 to 15,000 followers or so, they were not paid much, but they were something. And I was kind of doing that on the side. It was like just a side hustle or it was like spending money for me on the side. Um, and then as it grew, it kept growing. And then I started being able to raise my rates more and more. And I told Greg one day, I was like, you know, I think this could be a career for me. And he is very conservative and very like, Oh my God, no, no. Like, you know, you need to have your, your law job. This is like, you know, too scary for me. But I was like, you know what, Greg, like I got to take a chance. Like I am miserable. I'm hiding in the bathroom at work to be able to post my food creations. And then I'd come home and stay up really late at night. Also as a new mom, after the baby has gone to bed, to create recipes, to, you know, shoot content in terrible light. Cause now it's night. Um, but once I started bringing in income that almost matched my law and salary, I was like, I'm going to try this. And I thought to myself, I'm like, look, I can try it for a year. A couple of things can happen. One, I decide I, I really don't like it. Maybe it's, I, I don't, it, I think it's my passion, but maybe it's not, or it can take off. Um, you know, but I always have something to fall back on no matter what, because I felt like I have this degree, it's valuable. Maybe I'll never go back to a law firm, but I can do something else with it. 
And I also feel like nothing, if you don't try and follow your passion, you're never going to know. And I didn't want to have a regret in my life because I do have plenty of regrets from things in the past, but I did not want one of those regrets to be, um, not being able to follow my passion or feel like I didn't trust myself enough or believe in myself enough to give this a go. Mm. That's huge. What you just said, the trust in yourself. I feel like that is, that's huge. Like that, that voice is there for you saying like that, that was the, really the catalyst, because if you think about the rest of the history that you just shared, it was all of these times when you decided that the other voices in your life were more valid than your own. Yeah, it's so true. And I think a lot of people think that too, like we all have these passions and aspirations of things that we want to do. And who knows, maybe they're um, career goals or maybe their personal goals, whatever they are. I think we, it's, I think it's human nature. Sometimes we, there's things we want to do, but we're our own, um, roadblock. Yeah. We don't, I think we need to believe in ourselves more and skill sets that we already have and things that innately that we're born with that are our, um, greatest strengths to know. So for me, yes, I had the law degree to know I could come back to that, but everybody has their, everybody has something in their life that they are good at, that they're skilled at. We are all different. You're, and what I'm good at is complete, might be completely different than when you're good at. We all have our different strengths. If we can tap into, remember that and know, like, if it's a career change you want to make, can you come back to, if you decide it doesn't work out, you try it you always have something to come back to or a skill set that you can be building on the side so that you have you kind of create opportunities for yourself. Yeah, I I love that. Because you know, it's interesting I actually was just having another conversation with somebody else yesterday about like next steps or what do I want to do or and I think part of the hardest thing for at least for me sometimes and I don't know if you can relate to this but you've spent so long picturing yourself and your identity. Like I know what it looked, I knew what it looked like to walk the halls as a principal. I knew what it looked like to be in a classroom. I knew who people expected me to be when I showed up in those spaces. And the more and more I thought like, I mean, by the end of it, I was like, I I'm suffocating. I'm literally feel like I'm suffocating. Like I can't stand. I want to crawl out of my own skin because I feel like I've spent so much time in a space becoming a version of what somebody else wanted me to be versus just being who I think, you know, and, and it's not fake. It's just, it's like, I feel like when I look back, it was like, um, a really watered down version of who I think I'm meant to be. Exactly. Exactly. Like you, you see this other potential or this, like, I think we know, I'm like, I can do X, Y, and Z, but you feel, I fell speaking from my own experience. I just felt really stuck and trapped. I'm like, I have all of this untapped potential. I don't know what to do with it. There's this greater version of me out there. How do I get there? And I also was very, um, dependent on, um, Greg in my life and other people, my parents, I kept, um, I was angry. I felt resentful that my dad had, my parents had pushed me to go to law school, even though, yeah. you know, I like learn all of that, those things. And I was like, I would also like, um, you know, kind of burden them. Like, what do I do next? Help me figure this out. Help me, help me, help me, help me. When I learned, you know, through experience that nobody else can help you. You can have people in your life that are your support system, but you, it all comes only we can help ourselves. And it's, it's like this, they can be there. They cannot do the work for us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And as soon as I stopped blaming my parents, as soon as I stopped getting mad at Greg for not being able to say, like, I kind of wanted him to say, Nicole, if you don't like law quit. Yeah. I, I think I wanted that out. And he never did that. Not, not for the financial reasons. I think he could have carried us financially, but he never said that to me. And I was angry. I was like, if you love me enough, don't you want me to be happy? Yeah. I kept looking for out other people to, and other things 
to try to fill these voids. And I think that's where food came in too. And what kept me um, mm. going in this cycle is like, you're, I'm, I, I am, I know I'm meant for more. There are things that I want to do. I feel so stuck. What can I control? Food. I can control food. I can control how much I eat, how little I eat, what I look like on the outside. I can, you know, all of these things, it's all tied together, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, control is an interesting thing because then I, I think too, like just in hearing what you were just saying, especially about like your husband and your parents, it's like, and I don't want to put words in your Mm -hmm. mouth, but almost like you were waiting for permission to become the next version of you that you, you were ready for, but also it's scary because if you choose to change, you also have to own, be ready to own the outcome, whether it works or not. Right. And I think that that's, that's, that's scary, especially like you're a wife and a mother and, uh, you know, like, even if you don't love it, you know, you can be successful at it. And when you're somebody who's driven to please and achieve the, the fear of not, not even failure always for me, but like the fear of disappointing people that whose opinions you, you really value, even if you resent them sometimes, you know, they still are so meaningful to you in your life. Sometimes that's hard to, to let go of the connection you have to like getting that approval. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when Greg said, when I said, you know, I'm today's the day I'm walking out of my office and, you know, he was like, oh my God, don't do it. Like he, like, I think part of it, like he's supportive, but he's also very, like, it's scary for him too, because this change that I'm going to make is going to impact our family in some way. Um, and I was like, no, I, I have to do it. I have to do it. And that day I, I did it and I came home and I was like, I'm out of there. And I felt like this huge weight had been yeah. like lifted off my shoulders. Um, and I was so excited. I felt like the world has opened up to me. Um, and now I'm, you know, following my passion, but now of course it, you know, brings its own set of challenges. Yeah. (laughs) I'm hard, hard, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It, it all, it, it all does. But I think like even saying that is really important because, you know, if there's somebody who's listening, that's like, okay, maybe this is my nudge to just drop what I'm doing and chase what I know or what I think I'm meant for it's not like it's all roses on the other side either, right? There is growth that that comes and is necessary at all these stages. So like, you know, maybe the food healed, but you realized that there are other still other things that need more healing in this too, you know, whether it's like the trolls that come after you for ridiculous things on Instagram or, you know, I think it's, it's not all roses, even when you transition to the next version. It's true. It, it is true. And I think for me, the greatest challenge that, you know, is in my life currently really has to do with balance and how do I balance? Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with food anymore. It really has to do, how do I balance my job and showing up on social media, um, and creating content with my family life? Yeah. Um, you know, I am constantly on this hamster wheel of creating new things, turning out content that my priorities are messed up sometimes. I mean, I, and I have to openly admit that because it is, you know, I think from the outside people look in and they get a a pretty picture of what they see on social media or think something takes five minutes, but really what went on, what went on is sometimes it is like my kids are crying in the background and they need me, but I'm in the middle of something. And how do I, um, show up, do my job, but also make sure that I'm present because as you know, like our children are young once I, I have missed a lot of important moments in their lives, whether that's sports games, because, you know, I'm, I tell Greg, I'm like, you got to take them to baseball. Yeah. I I've missed my kids baseball games because I'm home doing it. And that's fine. There's hard work that goes into everything, but I think, um, you know, it, it is constantly this, dance that we do in life about sometimes our priorities do get skewed along the way, but how do we constantly bring ourselves back in balance? How do we realign ourselves? How do we, um, no, we notice, we have to notice when things fall out of balance and 
try to shift with that and make positive changes. And I feel like, you know, what you're, what you were saying earlier is that is really what part of being an adult is all about. It's knowing, having some self-awareness when things fall out of balance and taking a few steps back to take care of ourselves, to take care of our family and find new balances that work along the way. Yeah. Um, speaking of, speaking of balance, when you look at your, um, world now, how do you balance what you're willing to share publicly and, and what you need to hold privately? Because, and I ask this because I'm always, you know, I've danced this fine line with myself and it was actually, I feel like maybe mostly with like what I blog or pictures, you know, that I share because I talk so much about my family. Like that is kind of the world that I exist in um, for this, but like, as they get older, Mm -hmm. I need to really respect their privacy as well. And their choice about what they would like shared publicly about their life or lives or our life as a family or, um, you know, or like a picture of their mom where they're like, really mom, like you're still my mother. Like, no, thank you. So how do you, decide what you're willing to share and what needs to be kind of be kept sacred, but sacred in your world, knowing that the people that see you because they see you can, you know, consistently will think that they know the entirety of you and, and judge you as such. Oh yeah. This is such an interesting and a great question. I mean, years. So I've been on Instagram for seven plus years. And so the first three to four years, no, maybe five, yeah, five or six years, pretty far into it. I was sharing everything. I was very, um, you know, when my, since my kids were babies, I was sharing them and bringing people along the journey of motherhood with me, showing them the day-to-day life behind the scenes in my Instagram stories. Um, and Greg, my husband was a little bit more present on my social media too. So people got a chance to see that, you know, my family more, um, as my boys have gotten over this past year, um, I have, I have started to show them a little bit less, like they're not in my content as much anymore. Um, whether that's on my feed posts or in my stories, because I, I am, they are kind of now understanding what all of this means, what mommy's job is. And they don't always want, they don't, they can communicate now. Like my boys are like, no mom, I don't want this. Or, Hey, if I say like Hunter, do a story with me. He's like, no mom. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to force it. Um, because I do think it is really important to respect their little boundaries and their, and their wishes. And just because they're little people doesn't mean that their, um, their desires and their requests are any less important or meaningful than us as an adult. Um, so I don't share as much. And also, um, Greg over the past year has really become more private. He's like, you know, a lot of my work people, you know, follow you or like, he's like, I, and I just don't need everybody in knowing everything that I do all of the time. And I stopped, I kind of stopped sharing that and people, because they have previously seen him a lot, people would come into my stories and be like, are you still married? Are you divorced? Yeah. Your kids, what happened this, what happened that? Yeah. And it's interesting because at the end of the day, nobody has a right to know anything, right? Like it's, you, you, you don't owe anybody explanations for anything that you do. But on the other hand, I understand if I put my job as I'm putting myself out there and people previously seen my family and content, then all of a sudden they don't, it's not sure it's human nature. I wonder the same thing when I look at other people's content, Totally, but it's kind of this fine line now. And I will say like, um, my stuff, my content, my Instagram stories did a lot better performance wise when I had more of my family involved in my stuff. But for me, that doesn't matter as long as I am being true and honoring their wishes, because I don't want them to ever come back one day and say that something I did made them uncomfortable, or they wish I didn't post this photo or like, that's just to me, like the worst thing that I could do to them. So I kind of just take their cues. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. And I'm sure that I like, I'm a hundred percent sure I totally overanalyze these things, but I always think too, you know, I had a wonderful childhood and very supportive parents and 
I'm the middle of two sisters. So like I had great siblings and, but everybody spends their adult life also recovering from something that happened in as a kid that when they feel like maybe their voice wasn't honored or they felt invisible or they, you know, I mean, I'm a classic middle child, so I can say, you know, say all these things. And I always think about like, trying to make sure that my voice for what I want and what I think is best doesn't completely dominate, especially in this like public circumstance, what their voice is telling them is, is like good and safe for them as well, you know, and because that boundary piece, I think is just, it's so important. And they practice setting those boundaries most safely with us. Right. Yeah. 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 And also like, I also sometimes struggle with like, okay, um, they're okay with me doing this, but do they actually really fully understand like what, you know, and they don't. And so that's where like, you know, I typically don't have mom guilt, but sometimes I do. And when I, when I do, it usually is in that is in regard to that, um, to be really mindful about whether I really am honoring them. Like just because they said it's okay. Do they, do they really understand? Right. Yeah. So, um, when you look at your kale junkie world right now, what projects are you most excited about? Like just for you? Yeah. Well, um, I have my cookbook, which is coming into the world in October. I already ordered it. I pre-ordered. Yay. It is. Um, but one of the reasons why this particular project is so special to me is really because it's not just, it's not just a cookbook. There's millions of them on the market. This one is a little bit different. This one shares my uh, most intimate um, struggles with food and really in detail how um, I found healing and it, and the principle with how I live my life now, which is really intuitive eating and making food choices according to how I feel and whether, and that can be on a physical level, a spiritual level, an emotional level there, we, there is, um, you know, we talk about, or, you know, in, you know, in, in everything that we read, we talk about how emotional eating is not, a good thing. We shouldn't emotionally eat, but there is an emotional connection to food. And sometimes food does bring comfort. And so I'm showing you how to um, tap into that intuition. All of the books are are, all of the recipes. I'm sorry, are um, made with real whole food ingredients um, to help you on your journey to feeling good. Um, And really, you know, how to set your, your life up beyond just the recipes for a feel good lifestyle. I call it the feel good lifestyle, which goes beyond just the kitchen. It carries over to, um, you know, our, what we, what we feed our brains, you know, our minds, what we allow into our head, our ex, our daily exercise routine, a good supplement routine, which, you know, in particular for me, I'm a really big proponent of a quality probiotic because I feel like good health starts in the gut. And when your gut is on point, everything else kind of falls into place or a lot, um, doing setting aside, I share tips for meal prepping on the weekends to make it really efficient, quick and easy. And, um, so you're not spending your moments and, uh, precious time in the kitchen when you really just want to be with your kids or your significant other, or just reading a book. Um, So I'm really, really excited for that because I do think this book will reach a lot of people and will really help people um, heal their relationship with food, find joy in in cooking and um, show that healthy living um, can be really delicious and also very easy and not take too much of your time. Yeah. I, um, I have to say too, as somebody who has like a lot of issues with food just because of all my kind of crazy medical things that have happened with my digestive system. Um, and my husband has a boatload of food allergies and my son has celiac, um, and a dairy sensitivity, like your recipes are so, uh, this is going to be like a real, like lame term for, because you're, because it's like what you do is really an art, but they're so approachable for somebody that has like 
I can easily substitute one flour for another. Um, I don't know why I never thought about using olive oil and stuff versus butter. I mean, you know, and, and you brought up too before, like how you can still kind of quote unquote, treat yourself and feel good. Well, it's not that the cookie's bad. It's like the boatloads of whatever processed stuff is in that cookie is what's upsetting to you. Exactly. Because you know, and so like, there is this connection, like, yes, all, I do believe that all foods are on limits. So if I do want a classic, you know, cookie from a bakery or whatever it is, even a packaged store-bought cookie with the, you know, processed ingredients, all food is technically on limits. If you want it, go into the store, buy it and come home. But I really urge you to eat it and take a few moments to like, think about how you feel, because when you do eat the stuff that is made with the highly processed ingredients, it tastes good in your mouth. Then you, then you swallow it and then you sit with that. And I always notice that I either feel moody, irritable, fatigued. I'm tired. I feel bloated. I feel lethargic. And to me, it's never really worth it. So that's where I like, when I say worth it, not in terms of calories, really worth it in terms of like the aftermath of how I want to feel. So that's why I suggest like, okay, maybe don't buy that package thing here, make my recipe instead. It will satisfy exactly what you're going for, but after you eat it, you'll feel better. And so hopefully that's what I'm trying to like share with like the more nutritious swaps, um, you know, that I do on my Instagram and also that will be in the cookbook. Well, and I think too, like you're, you're helping other people access or understand the idea of intuitive eating, because really it's the, it's the fact that you're, you know, a lot of us, I bet if you ask, everybody knows something they love to eat that makes them feel like trash, but they continue to eat it, even though it makes them feel trashy. You're saying honor your voice, like actually listen and take yourself seriously. It doesn't make you feel good. So don't do it. Exactly. Or don't do it every day or don't do, do it once a month. Yeah. Like, don't, like these things are like, we don't have to look at, you know, label or an Oreo is like a bad food. Cause I don't, I think that that assigns morality to food and food is just food. There's no such yeah. thing as I don't like good and bad or clean or dirty. I don't really like those terms because I feel like that, um, just creates this unnecessary labeling that we don't need, but it's really about, I like to look at it as foods made with nutritious ingredients and less nutritious and less than nutritious. And when things are made with less than nutritious ingredients, they tend to make us feel like crap. So why don't we tend to let, why don't we 90, 90, 10, or, you know, 85, 15% of the time, um, do live your life in a way that feels, um, good to you, where you're not restricted, where you're eating things that bring you joy, but I also believe too, like when you do eat things that make you feel crappy, you remember that you don't want to feel crappy that often. So yeah. Yeah. Really well said. Yeah. Um, okay. My final question is always the same as my, as my listeners know. Um, lots of times what we've, what we spend our life working on, um, it's really because we're trying to finish raising or growing something within ourselves. So although we've certainly touched on a lot of it today, what do you think that your work, um, you know, providing nutritious options for ourselves and our families? What do you think that that's helping you raise within yourself? Um, this is such a good question. I think that it is really helping me, um, I find, I find such joy when people are taking my recipes and making them and feeling good in their, in their skin, in their lives. And that I am facilitating that. So I feel really, uh, full and empowered, um, and valued. And I think for me, as I evolve part of adulting is trying to evolve along the way and really, um, finding value, not only from outside others, but really, um, tapping into our own innate value that already exists. And sometimes I, I look to other people to provide that for me, but really the journey, um, through my work, um, not only is really about finding the, finding my value within and, and really owning that. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's really beautifully said. I love that. Well, and you're inspiring, um, you know, well, hundreds of thousands of people to do uh, the same thing. So yeah, um, that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, it really is like, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, I think it's just a recipe or it's just a tip that I've shared, but um, really it's about, I want people to know that they can take non-traditional paths to follow their passion. And that if, whether, if they're struggling with something in their lives, a mental health issue an eating disorder, all of these things that we think are taboo and that nobody wants to talk about, they have absolutely no um, correlation to your worth as a person. We all struggle. We, if we remove all of the pretty facade that we're trying to, we all kind of, in some way, try to coat in front of our lives. Nobody has it perfect. I think it, the more that we talk about that, the more that we really help people. And so I think really, I hope that's what people take away from today is that I'm not perfect. I had some really bad times in my life to get to this point. And, um, it's not, it wasn't easy and it's still hard in different ways, but you get to choose your hard now. So Yes. Yes. Okay. So if people want to order your cookbook, where should they go? So it is available nationwide. It is on every major retailer's website on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere. Um, There's also a link on my blog. I have thousands of recipes on my website, kalejunkie.com. And people can find me on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube shorts. Um, and my handle is at kale junkie, one word. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to link all of that in the show notes and, um, I cannot wait to get my hands on the cookbook and learn more. And, um, I just want to say thank you for being so open and honest and you are a very, very busy woman. So your time with me today is truly a gift and I'm really, really grateful. So thank you. I'm grateful for the opportunity and I love your work and what you're doing. And I feel so grateful that our paths crossed and we got to form this relationship and yeah, I'm always here to support and, and, uh, get the word out. I can't wait to share this episode with everyone. Well, good. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the love raising us podcast. Don't forget to drop into whatever app you're listening in. Give us a five-star review and of course, subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. Thanks for being here. We will see you again in two weeks.